everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Onigiri and Co podcast. Today I have a special guest. This is not a drone pilot, this is not an FPV pilot, but I'm super happy to have Christina on this episode. Hello, Christina. Hi. So even though I'm not a drone pilot or something, maybe you can drone me though. You might FPV me one day. That would be awesome. I've always been after a, a, a woman drift uh, pilot. <laughs> I call them drift pilot. It's drift driver, right? <laughs> that I could chase. That would be awesome. <laughs> yeah, well, I have to learn how to do a track day first. And then I think one day, though, one day this year, we'll, we'll get there. Yeah, hopefully. I, I hope. Oh, even if I don't chase you, I love taking photos of motorsport, like any type. Yeah. So it would be really cool. But um, yeah, I'm so glad you're here. For people who are wondering uh, why you're here and you're not a drone pilot, I have an answer. <laughs> it's because uh, in 2024, I'm trying to expand the podcast to uh, more guests that I think are super interesting. Obviously, uh, trying to put the, the light on uh, people I admire, especially women in anything, because anytime a woman does something, I'm like, yeah, go girl. Like, <laughs> when I said that you're a drone pilot, I was like, that is awesome. I don't know any female drone, um, FPV drone pilots. So I was like, that's so cool. Yes. So I'm so glad you're here. And what we're going to do today is just introduce you to everybody, uh, talk a little bit about your journey into uh, your your passions, your your motorsport uh, passions. Um, and you can start whenever you want. You can introduce yourself. <laughs> okay. So I'm Christina Bethorkas. I am 28 years old. I'm originally from rural country, Australia, well, South Australia, um, in a town called Barmer. It's like a region it's called the riverland so there's a lot of small towns that are very very sport orientated like if you didn't play sports growing up you like it was weird well and that was me and my sister we never played sports um <laughs> we never played sports that everyone seemed to play sports and stuff like that so i grew up in the riverland with my twin sister my mum and dad we uh traveled a lot growing up so i think just traveling a lot overseas and having a twin sister i didn't really like have a passion for anything other than spending quality time with family like that was my passion just having a twin sister that already was like a best friend I didn't really need any more friends I didn't yeah I just I had a lot um of my cup filled from a young age but when I moved to Adelaide South Australia like for university when I was 18 years old I wanted to start um studying teaching my twin sister and I both um, because we're twins, have to copy each other. I both <laughs> decided to teach it. And it was about the third year in, Irene and I were just like, like this is not this is not us. Like, mm. we want to get tattoos. We were getting told, <laughs> like, you can't have, like, hand tattoos. You can't, you know, if you're going to be a teacher, you need to delete social media because, you know, you need to have, like, a professional outlook mm. on life and look professional to students. And with the, or if we have social media, we have to change our name and, hide ourselves I don't know everything just like the older I got it got it took to about 20 years old before I realized the more of that like being forced upon me as a kid was like my body was just rejecting it and now I'm like I'm an adult I want to do what I want to do mm -hmm. so um fast forward a couple of years and so we drop out of university I moved to Victoria I started mm -hmm. controlling, so I was like a lollipop girl. <laughs> yeah. And everyone was just like, how do you do that? Like, they were just like, that must be the most boring job. And now that I realize I've got ADHD, I think <laughs> it explains why I love traffic control because, like, I would just sit there with, the lo like, the lollipop and just, like, talk to myself. Like, I had so many conversations <laughs> with myself. I'd plan out my week, what I want to do, my passions, and 
Like, that gave me an opportunity to do nothing but think about all the mm-hmm. million thoughts I had in my head. So I enjoyed it. Um, <laughs> but I actually, at 19, so just before that, sorry, I should backtrack a little bit. I um, found dirt bikes. So mm-hmm. when I went to university, I found, I jumped on a motorbike and I, I also like fell in love with motorbikes. And I realized my whole life growing up, not playing sports, like why I didn't play sports or why I didn't get into, I did play soccer for a little bit, but I didn't like it as much as I liked motorbikes. And I realized it was just like, I just need like a high adrenaline sport, something like fast pace and again, ADHD, risk behavior, <laughs> things. Um, and yeah, so when I got, I remember actually my last uh, university placement that I had for teaching, I was at a kindergarten, like a like four-year-olds or five-year-olds were there and I brought my motorbike to the class because it was like show and tell and they wanted me to bring in my stuff and I told them <laughs> and I rode motorbike so I was like can you bring your motorbike in so I brought my motorbike in and that placement was like the moment I realized like I was having so much fun riding motorbikes and racing and and doing freestyle motocross and for those that don't know what freestyle motocross is is basically like jumping a metal ramp and having like a distance of like 55 foot was my distance, 17 meter gap, jumping a metal ramp and landing on a, a dirt or metal landing. I also did motocross, which is like racing a motorbike around a circuit. Um, the more I did that, the more I realized like following something that I love and makes me happy made me hate more of the things I was forcing myself to do that I didn't mm. like. And then... um. If we fast forward to 2018, I had my motorbike accident. So yeah. again, for those that don't know, as you can see it there, I've got a, a wheelchair. I am now a paraplegic. <laughs> they actually, I actually found this out recently. Sorry, I'm just talking so much. You just butt in whenever I you love want. it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I found out recently on a TikTok, they said ADHD, uh, sorry, on another podcast, people with ADHD, undiagnosed ADHD, live 10 years young uh less than most average people because we participate in risk behavior oh. activities and like for example me i'm in a wheelchair now so, but you're here yeah no it's great life's good so yeah yeah that's that's i'm, I'm impressed at how you managed to have a summary that is that you know condensed <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah, so I have I have lots of questions for you today, and I think I'm ADHD too. So right now they're all popping at the same time in my head. I'm just trying to <laughs> maybe I should have written down them in order. <laughs> um, but um, to come back to um, uh, your years of motorbike, of dirt bike, um, how did you get into it? How do you get started in such a in such a sport? So that's what I mean. If I didn't have a boyfriend at the time from high school, uh, yeah, high school I think. If I didn't have him have a motorbike and I didn't jump on the back of it, I would never have gotten into motorbikes. Even though as a kid, if you look at my twin sister and I's like our like childhood, we would always race home, race home from the school bus, go down the driveway and jump on a four-wheeler. We had a four-wheeler quad and we used to like ride around the like the block and we used to race uh semi tra like trucks <laughs> on the highway so we would so we would race home get on the motorbike get to the corner of our block where there was a big sweeping bend and we could see when a semi truck was coming so we would wait there <laughs> once the semi truck was coming around the bend we would drag him like two three hundred meters now probably like more like 400 meters on the highway and like 
now looking back at it, I like, explain so much why I'm into what I am into now. But as a kid, like that never, we never rung any bells to be like, oh, maybe we should ride motorbikes. It just, we never knew about it. But I hopped on the back of my ex-boyfriends at the time. And then I was like, oh my God, I love these. Like, this is what I want. I don't want to be the passenger princess. Like I want to be riding this thing myself. So two weeks later, I bought a motorbike and that's how I got into that. Okay, wow. And then from that to, because I, I believe, well, I don't know if it was you or your sister now, I feel bad about it, but I've seen photos of, uh, you know, when you do those type of figures on a dirt bike and how do you get from just riding a normal motorbike to actually do crazy things on it? <laughs> yeah, so well, my sister, twin sister now, after my accident, she went ahead and got a Harley Davidson. So I'm like, oh God, <laughs> um, hopefully she's safe on it. But, um, so she does, she, she rides her Harley and does like little tricks or steps on the bike and stuff like mm -hmm. that. Um, I was doing freestyle motocross. So the reason or how I got into that was because I was a young female, not well, 19, um, new to the scene and was getting a few like comments and I could tell I was being talked about behind my back because these people would like bully me online, not like directly to me, but they will upload photos mimicking me and like posing next to their bike like I am. And basically just, just it was obvious to me that they were just paying me out for being like a poser. Hmm. So I was like, because I love my motorbike, but I'll take my selfies too. Like I was like, <laughs> just because I'm new to this sport doesn't mean I don't love it as much as you do. Same way as like, you know, I have a cousin that pays me out because like, I don't know all the footy players names and I love Port Adelaide football club. And in my head, I'm like, just because I don't know every single player's name doesn't mean I don't love the sport as much as you love the sport. You've just mm. invested more time in the sport. Doesn't mean I don't have the same fire lit up inside of me. And that's how I felt with motorbikes. But because I'm stubborn and I'm Greek, <laughs> I have a Greek background, stubborn woman. I was like, I need to prove a point to these people. So <laughs> once I started jumping, I was like, Fuck, I gotta keep pushing myself. I'm gonna push myself further. And I started hitting ramps and then I totally forgot about them. And I was just like, wow, like now I've just jumped a ramp. Let's like try taking feet off the ramp. Let's try doing no footer and stuff like that. And now looking back at it, I was like, I totally forgot about those guys. But back, <laughs> I did more than them anyways. Like I ended up like overtaking them and like doing stuff that they would never do. So it was just like interesting that like what started all that was basically me just wanting to play catch up. Like I just felt like all these people had grown up riding dirt bikes their whole life and now I had to play catch up to get to a level where, you know, I could get a little bit close to them. Not very, I was still very far away. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, that's, yeah, I guess that's what like motivated me to get to try different things on the motorbike. Okay, well, that, that all makes sense. And I like that. Yeah, your story makes so much sense. I feel like a lot of women in different uh, hobbies or passions can relate to having to have to prove themselves and then ended up being a bit successful because we work so much because <laughs> we get criticized more that at the end of the day, we actually get better. <laughs> so yeah, I, you was know. I was listening to your yours and Renee's podcast and listening to you explain about um, how you don't make your, like when you first start out and you don't make your own FPV and it's like a big stigma, like you should make it. And I, when I was listening to that, I was just like, oh, I can understand. But at the same time, I just wanted to like say, shut up to all those people that even have those opinions because so what? Like that you don't make it, like how does that change you as a pilot? 
mm-hmm. other than your no offense like wasting time and spending more time on making your own pilot what if what if you're a millionaire would a millionaire make their own like i guess some would like out of out of habit but, but like most people that have more money and don't have as much time would pay someone to go do it i <laughs> once if I, if I wanted to get into fpv droning i wouldn't build my own i'd mm-hmm. go to someone else i'm like because in my head i know i don't need to prove myself and my passion just by making something mm-hmm. yeah and most of the time what end, ends up happening is um a lot of people know how to fix a drone when they break it but at this age a lot of people actually buy ready to go drones as well you know yeah. so uh, and it's a bit like when i saw sean he's not the person tuning his car uh sean Ooh. is my partner for people who's wondering <laughs> uh, and 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 then he's not expected to tune his own car in in his drift community whereas sometimes in the drone community we're ex- we expected to do everything and if you don't you know it's a bit weird and, but to be honest <laughs> our community is pretty good so yeah. uh, that leads me to to my next question overall the people you met in real life when you were doing dirt bike how was how was the atmosphere? Was it still weird or was it actually welcoming? Yeah, it was very welcoming. Other than those like couple people that like get intimidated or like just you know, there's or there's bullies in every like industry you go to. Someone's always gonna be sour and whatever. So you ignore it. But the general community of the motocross community were amazing. Like I thought like these are like family, like even when I had my accident, they went and done all these fundraisers and they all came together and at the at the track like if you would break something someone would come and get a tool and everyone was very 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 helpful the men were very welcoming and you know wanting to teach you know i think mm. they didn't kick out of like helping a female <laughs> um, and probably, like a bit like refreshing for them to talk to a female other than like another stinky male um <laughs> so it was really really good and um i i love i love the motocross community but i must say the drift mm-hmm. community has like just that one little level higher. <laughs> I don't know if it's because of the maturity level because most people into the drift scene are a little bit older because you come into like adult money now um, <laughs> and you put you into a more expensive sport. But I feel like the drift community is like, again, just like another amazing family. Mm, I, I feel the same from seeing from the outside perspective. I feel like it's the same type of people that build drones, except yeah. we have less money. <laughs> I think that's what it is. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I should have been correct. I don't have money. Like, yeah. If I have a drip card, that means I'm definitely broke. I am less. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, and uh, No, but I mean, everybody is broke on the same yeah, level. It's just, what? yeah. I, oh, I didn't mean that um, drift drivers had lots of money. I'm just saying, <laughs> if anything, you know, we chose the, the easy way. Yeah. <laughs> Out of finance. Definitely. <laughs> um, and actually, um, this is interesting because I don't know if you know that in the FPV community, we have a lot of people who also come from, so it's either a lot of people come from BMX, uh, skate background, just like in Drift, where people also do that, you know, but also we have people who experienced uh, some some accident just uh, like you did and mm-hmm. so they cannot ride bikes anymore they cannot drive a car at all but they find way to they find ways to fl- to fly the drones and so um being immersed with the goggles and everything they say they at least are able to mm-hmm. keep their adrenaline um yeah almost as the same as before um i'm quite impressed that you mm-hmm. are going to drift so you didn't choose the fpv way <laughs> that's okay we can get onto that another time <laughs> we can teach you to fly <laughs> but um yeah how how did you decide to get into drift and also how hard is it to get into drift post accident that's that's my question yeah well i 
I was actually talking to Jesse about this, like my partner, Jesse. Mm-hmm. Um, I was talking to Jesse about this yesterday, how I had like this epiphany moment that I remember at rehab when they told me as a paraplegic, you will become a better problem solver. Like just naturally we become better problem solvers because we have hurdles we face daily. So we always have to adapt, change, find new ways. And if we let the first roadblock stop us from trying to do something, like we might as well give up. Like I might as well stay in bed 24-7. Like, that, mm-hmm. like it's just not a way of thinking. And when I um, had my accident, it was about, I, I did get back on the bike to prove a point to the doctor, but it was about a year and a half later, someone invited me to go out drifting and I was just like, I don't know what drifting is. Like I, I thought of like Tokyo Drift or something. I'm like, oh, it's, <laughs> I think it's like a car doing a burnout. Like that's all I kind of knew about drifting. And I was like, I'm like, well, I like burnouts. I like going fast and I like cars. I'm like, I'm like, it, like, it just seems like all the ingredients for a recipe of a good time. So I'm like, I'll do it. And I went out there and the first corner I was in the passenger, um, the first corner I took, I realized it was the same feeling I got from like hitting a ramp. Mm-hmm. And it's funny that I didn't even think how I'm going to be doing it. Like, how am I going to drift? I just knew I'm like, I'm going to make this happen. Like, I didn't let that like roadblock stop me. And I feel like a lot of people don't know how to do things. So it just stops them from like doing it. Mm-hmm. And in my head, like people are like, I'm like, oh, I'm going to buy a drift car and start drifting. And I bought one two weeks later because in my head, I'm like, oh, all I have to, like, if I, I can drive a car so I can do drifting. And then I had like over the years, because it took, by the way, for people listening, I took three and a half years to build this drift car because mm-hmm. it is so expensive. Um, yeah. But it took me three and a half years to build and I went drifting for the first time the other month. Yay. Um, mm-hmm. But everyone was asking her, how are you going to drift? How are you going to drift? And I'm like, I don't know. Like, I haven't really thought of it. Like, I'm like, oh, yeah, like, it is going to be hard. Like, I'm going to have to do it maybe with, like, one hand. And, but, like, that, I just didn't let that stop me because I'm like, mm-hmm. I will figure a way. I know as a paraplegic, you just, things that seem impossible to people initially, there are ways around it. You just got to think harder. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't actually hard to get into. It's just very, very expensive to get into drifting and very, very time-consuming if you're building your own car and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, that's so cool. I love that you were like, I'm going to do this. And then people people were like, how are you going to do it? Yeah, oh, we'll see. <laughs> here now. Like, I think because at that time I had figured out a lot of things. Like I went traveling to Queensland on my, uh, on my own. My dad's like, how are you going to go to Queensland? How are you going to check into hotel? I'm like, I don't know. Like I'll figure it out. And then I put myself in positions where I'm traveling across the country on my own, doing things on my own and having to figure stuff out. And then you just like, I don't know, it's just in your brain you start to realize you don't you start to let, like worry less about issues because you you already like your subconscious knows you can get around it at some mm-hmm. point. Just mm-hmm. it might take longer or cost more or be more time consuming, but there's no, there's no such thing as like impossible in my head. Yeah. <laughs> Were you always like this, do you think? Yeah, I guess like before my injury, I was like this in some extent like I was stubborn. I was always adrenaline seeking. I was always like, I had these attributes, I believe, my whole life. But once I had the injury, it was like, now it's on a stage and on display to everyone. And like, it put it to the test even more so because now I had more of a reason to do more. My injury mm-hmm. literally made me, I feel like, do more than the usual able-bodied person because I'm like, I need to prove people I can do this and I can do this and I can do that. And in the meantime, I stopped worrying about 
proving myself to people. And then now that I look back at it, like five years later, I'm like, holy moly, I've done way more things that I've done if I wasn't paralyzed. Like if I wasn't paralyzed, I think I would have just done the same thing and, you know, kept doing that, like still pushing myself, but not to the extent that I am now. Now I'm like, oh, nothing's impossible. That's so, I love it. I feel like it's it's inspiring and it's a beautiful story, even though, you know, obviously there's an accident involved, which, you know, is probably not the best thing ever. <laughs> But um, how did you leave that period of time, though, where you were maybe in the recovery phase, if you want to talk about it? Was it Sorry, what was that? Did you say, how did I feel? Yeah. How did yeah. you, yeah. No, like, and that, that's another, like, a shocker for everyone because, like, I never mourned my injury. Mm -hmm. I never for a second thought my injury was bad. Like when I woke up, I was just like, okay, this is my situation. There's nothing mm -hmm. wrong with it. Like I'll, like I'll adapt to it. And I feel like people don't understand that. And I feel like it's kind of my fault for not explaining probably why I feel like that because I, th I think I've like co kind of forgotten to mention one, I did a, I had a back injury a year before I paralyzed myself. So I already mm -hmm. nearly paralyzed myself a year later and overcome those thoughts and was like, nah, I realized doing what makes me happy is more important than stopping myself from doing something out of fear of something going wrong. I had a conversation with my dad and he said, mm -hmm. like, what if you end up in a wheelchair? And I was like, I don't care. Mm -hmm. I'm doing what makes me happy. doesn't mm -hmm. matter. I had already like mentally prepared myself for it without like knowing that I was going to paralyze myself. I would always say to myself, I remember seeing, um, other freestyle riders or motorbike riders and like I shouldn't like say this but I would judge them um, <laughs> you can the say way they, the way they would cry and suck over their injury and I shouldn't say this because a lot of people like that that's what okay. that's normal that is totally normal to injure yourself and be upset and mad is totally normal I get like that and I react like that over stupid little things that aren't even an injury I didn't do it for my injury but other little unconvenient yeah. little situations happen and I crack the sheets and I cry <laughs> But for some reason, for motorbikes, I was like, this is the sport you're choosing to play. You know the risks involved. Why suck about it? So mm. I, I said to myself, if I ever had an accident, so I don't know if I manifested my own injury, but <laughs> I would you. always tell myself, one day you're probably going to have a big injury. You're probably going to break a femur. I always thought it was my femur. But you're mm -hmm. probably going to break your femur. Just remember that's just a part of the game you're playing. If you don't want to play it, don't play it. You're going to be not judged on the mistake that you make. You're going to be judged on the way you handle it. Don't be mm. a sore. And then by the time my injury came, it was like, that was already like wide in my brain. I didn't even have to think about it. I'm like, that's fine. Get on with mm. it. Just, mm. yeah. Wow. <laughs> I guess uh, it's a very pragmatic way to see your past hobby. It was like, well, I love this. These are the risks. Yeah. And, you know, you were not surprised, you know, yeah. you were not shocked Pikachu face, if you know that meme. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And I feel like, I feel people like, they they take life for granted and people go by their day-to-day -day life and drive to work and they just think, I'm not going to have a car accident. I'm not mm. going to get a phone call today that my mom has cancer and he's about to die. I'm not going to, like, people think that their life is going to be perfect 24-7. So when something happens... They're like, oh, my God, like, this is the worst thing. And it's like, we've got to be so grateful for the health that we have now. The fact that we're even alive and can mm. breathe and talk. Like, that alone, I feel like if you can't be grateful for that, when something small and any small inconvenience comes, you're like, 
it's the end of yeah. the world for you. Yeah. Did you know that before the injury, were you already thinking this way? Yeah, I, I think because of my dad. Like my dad always repeated in our head, like we'd, every time we go to the supermarket, like I, I'm not exaggerating at least. I actually think my dad has an issue like with repeating himself. <laughs> I think 95% <laughs> of the time, every single time I went to the supermarket, we would always leave it. He'd go, remember girls, you know, we're so lucky that we can go to the supermarket, fill our trolley well, I fill our trolley up and go to a home with a roof over our head. Like, mm. and he would say that every time. He just repeats himself. And, like, I just, I, I, as a kid, I used to think it was so annoying, him repeating, <laughs> him repeating. But now as an adult looking back at it, I'm like, no, Dad was just doing daily affirmations with us. Without even mm. him, re him realising and without us realising, those daily affirmations made us just always thinking, you'd always say glass half full, glass half full. Like, always made us think, like, the less no matter how much um, we were missing out on as kids, like we didn't have like brand new cars or our house was really run down and old and we had duct tape in the kitchen floor and we didn't have like the materialistic things that our you know family members might have had, our cousins or other friends. Dad would always say like, we are so rich. We were so mm. lucky. And dad always repeating that, like always saying we're rich out of happiness. Mm. You know, some people have all this stuff and have this materialistic stuff, the new car, the new houses, because, but are they happy? And mm. I remember dad always embedding happiness in our mind. And we, and when I had my accident, I woke up and I had all my family in my hospital room and I was happy. I was like, oh my God, it's a family reunion. Like my cousins, <laughs> I have my cousins for years. And I was just happy. So in my head, when people were looking at me, in bed paralyzed like the worst thing ever happened to me i was just like oh my god i am so rich right now like <laughs> i bet no one else here has get to see all their family right now like it's just like a mindset that dad really wired into our brain that i think the only way to get to that like point that i was at was having a father repeat himself every single day for 18 years <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome and and it makes me think of something that i've read or heard i don't remember exactly where uh, or when um it's it's about being happy like happiness mm. in life um it's like something that is in us in the first place and no mm. matter how life changes around us we will always uh, be able to see and handle the same level of happiness so uh let's say suddenly your country is like um, not in a good shape and you know everything is collapsing mm -hmm. well they've done studies and have went in those countries where things are difficult and asked people how they were rating their happiness and after a while and that's a bit sad but your happiness goes back to the same level as it was before life changed yeah. and it's the same the other way some people have a life uh, that improved a lot either financially or for other reasons like career or whatever and then if they were not super happy before but they might instantly yes. feel happier and then it goes back to how they felt before. So well, I guess it's, yeah. Sorry, sorry to interrupt you there. But like, uh, that's, okay. that's why I want to go back and touch base with what I said before about like people getting upset over like, because I don't, I don't want people listening to feel bad for being <laughs> upset because I feel like, so, like you said, if you don't know how to find happiness within, like that's, like, you, you need to be able to find, like, you can always, always grieve. I now, I grieve more now, not about my injury, but about stupid little things. I do that more now because I've realized how important it is to accept bad feelings or bad energies or something goes wrong. I realize that, how important it is to accept it, recognize it, feel your emotions, 
but then also learn how to deal with it after like what decisions um are important to make after that because you can you can feel upset about something everyone has a right to feel upset about a certain situation but i guess how you learn to cope with it after is what's important and i guess these people that are overseas in let's say in a war or something and then they learn to get their happiness because it's like at a point you kind of just have to accept the situation you're in and now it's your decision to be like well do you want to keep going like do you keep wanting going like you know you can play the victim all you want but you're gonna lose like in, in mm. let's say the game of life you're choosing that might get you some sympathy for a little bit might get you this and might get but at the end of the day you're gonna lose and mm. i guess i'm a stubborn competitive person i don't want to lose so like yeah. i'm like oh, i need a win <laughs> so <laughs> yeah it's but that's a really interesting fact i i that makes sense but i've never heard that but it makes mm. sense And what is impressive is that it's not always conscious. People are just, they've been like this always. And so they go back to what they know most. And I feel like for you, your injury definitely affect you temporarily in what you could do because you had to retrain your body, I assume, to get simple thing done, like even just sitting up, I assume. Yeah, <laughs> um, well, yeah definitely. Yeah. That was, you know, was I, a journey. That was the first hardest thing because I couldn't sit up without fainting. Because, oh, geez. Um, yeah, something I've actually, actually I haven't even spoken about this on my social media before. But it's interesting, when, well, I found it interesting learning at rehab is because when you're paralyzed, and by the way, for the listeners and watchers, I'm paralyzed from here. Mm -hmm. um, so when, you're, when your muscles are all relaxed, that means when you stand up or sit up, your blood, your muscles normally contract and stop blood from dropping. But because mm -hmm. my muscles are all relaxed, all the blood drops. So every time Ooh. I would sit up, it was like I would faint because all the blood would rush down to my feet and every time and I remember for a very long time it was like six months I'm like fuck 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 I'm like ask my ex or a nurse or someone to like lift my legs and that would be the first thing to do to make me feel better was lift my legs up just so the blood could like come back up into my body wow that's things we don't think about how do you train your body to can you train it to not do that do you have to what they, do they just said keep doing it you just have to keep and eventually your body just has to adapt to that so now I still get lightheaded here and there, but I haven't eaten and I've gotten up and I'm like, whoa. But your body, again, like what you said with like the other side, like the more you do something, the more you adapt to it. So mm. with that was everything was I learned because um, you I got to a point where staying in bed felt great. Like it, it does now. <laughs> um, <laughs> staying in bed felt great and I feel good and I'm relaxed and I'm I'm not tired. But at some point, gives you like it will affect you negatively and you actually mm. end up doing more damage because you're relaxing and you're feeling good too much so i learned from my injury pushing myself and doing stuff like people i was talking to jesse's mum the other day and she was saying how she's starting to feel really like tired and not motivated so she would go and walks every single day and she stopped mm. the last two weeks because i think mm. she's a babysitter or something and she stopped walking and she was she realized when you stop walking for two weeks or doing something for two weeks you actually lose a lot of motivation and you actually feel worse. So with my injury, I realized the more I make myself do things I didn't want to do, the better it was. It actually mm. beat off in the long run. Even though temporarily I was like, I don't want to do this. I'm going to get a sore back or I'm going to feel tired later. It was better in the long run because my body was getting used to it. Yeah. How do you motivate yourself in those moments where you're I, like, I don't want to do anything? <laughs> I had something recently happen um, to me that bit like emotionally like, Like I was saying, like just I go in my emotional parts and I was just like, I'm not dealing with this right now. And I was not motivated. I was like to Jesse, I'm like, no, nah, I'm staying in bed today. Like, 
I'm just going to feel my emotion and I let myself do that. That's why I was like, I let myself rest. I'm giving myself. But it got to a few days and I'm like, right, I can't do this anymore. Like, like now, yeah, if I'd stay like this, this is where you're going to end up causing, I don't know, worse thoughts, I don't know, leading to depression. I was like, I'm not getting to that. I'm just going to feel my emotions. So I did that. And the only way to motivate myself to get out of that was the thought of not being into like a depression. I don't want to be in depression because waking up with depression, and if anyone's listening, I'm sure there are people out there that do have it. That's mm. not easy. Waking up every day depressed is probably one of the hardest things to do. Waking up depressed, yeah. unmotivated, that is hard. That is so hard. So I give credit to people that suffer with depression and rock up every single day because that would be the hardest thing because I feel like I've been moments like that in my life where I've been depressed before my injury mm-hmm. and after my injury with other un- unrelated topics with my injury, just other stuff I was dealing with. Um, mm. And I feel like that and I'm like, it is so hard. So the thought of being in that position again motivates me to like do something that I don't want to do. And then I notice, okay, if I don't want to do something, force myself to listen to happy music, force myself to listen to upbeat music. I force myself to go outside, get sunlight, stuff that I didn't want to do. I wasn't in the mood to listen to bangers and like techno hardcore music. But I was like, <laughs> just do it, just do it. And I would listen and I'll be like in the shower and like bang, 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 like techno music. <laughs> Not even vibing it, but it doesn't matter. It's like you fake it till you make it. So I would do that and then I'll get sunlight and then I'll do something. Like I'll do something productive and then boom, all of a sudden it's like, okay, like you feel better. And then you're like, it's like a snowball effect. And then the next shower you have, I'm like, okay, I'm listening to the music. I'm I'm doing this. Like it's forcing yourself to do stuff that you don't want to do. Mm-hmm. It's So I don't say it's motivation. It's discipline. Mm. You can learn discipline then you don't need motivation. Yeah. It's really interesting. It makes me think of something else about people who are neurodivergent or who have ADHD. Yeah. Uh, are you officially diagnosed or do you have like strong suspicion? Uh, my sister got diagnosed this year. Oh, I yeah. know I have it. As in like, I've never been diagnosed. I just know I've got all the symptoms. But I also took uh, Dexys, the, oh, yeah. the ADHD medication, and it just mellows me out. I'm, I get tired. I feel normal. <laughs> Like I remember I had my first Dexy and I was with a whole bunch of people and I remember just sitting there and I'm like, I don't want to interrupt anyone. Like I was just like, like people were saying things and I was just like, I knew because for like 28 years, I know how I react in conversation and I noticed, (laughs) I'm like, I'm not butting in. I'm not interrupting. I'm not. And I was just like, I felt like I was a director and I'm just like filming this, this, this uh, scene and I was an an actor and Mm -hmm. I felt like normal mm. I don't like it so I'm going to take the medication again I'm like no nah, I'm not I don't like that like I'd rather procrastinate and have my ADHD symptoms and like feel boring but I do I have like Red Bull like so people like oh geez see me drinking Red Bull but Red Bull has the opposite effect on me oh wow yeah if I have a Red Bull I don't get energy from it so that's why oh. I actually so people think I drink Red Bull all the time or they see me energetic. They're like, oh, you're like having a Red Bull. I'm like, no, no, I use Red Bull to like calm me down, mm. calm my mind down. And like, it's just, yeah. Interesting. <laughs> so I'm not officially diagnosed, but I believe I have it. Mm. I was asking because the way you described how you slowly get back in into action after a sort of lower phase um, is, is a good technique for people with ADHD because you probably know that we have a harder way to... Um, Do we have it? 
Yeah, well, I have strong suspicion that I do have it. <laughs> I, have... <laughs> yeah. um, I always say we, but I could say they, but I include myself because I yeah, feel yeah, like yeah. I do have um, it. Um, we, we have a hard time um, uh, producing the happiness hormone so, if we want to just... Dopamine or something? Yeah, wow. and, and it only happens mm. when... And also the thought of happiness the future happiness doesn't make me pro uh, or us produce dopamine mm -hmm. um it's only delayed so you have to while in your state of state of despair mm -hmm. <laughs> you have to start doing happy thing and then suddenly your brain will yep. start making that hormone it's it's actually uh, i learned that from another podcast which is more scientist scientific yeah. <laughs> than now and so what you describe what do you mean? While I, you were... I am a scientist <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> while, while you were talking it i'm like this is exactly the process that i recommend is like if you're not in a mood you have to start ahead of yourself and force yourself and eventually uh, you will get something yeah. done so. like tonight so i'm i'm invited to an event a tennis event i don't i don't watch tennis i don't even care about that <laughs> But Novak's going to be there. Novak, Jock, I don't even know how to say Oh, it. really? Yeah, and Ash Barty and stuff, and they've invited me. I'm like, I don't want to go. I really don't. Like, that would sound ridiculous. I'm like, I, I was actually going to read, I was going to message him and, like, lie. I shouldn't say that, but I was. I was going to lie and say, I'm not feeling, I actually, you know what, I, sorry. I actually did lie. I already messaged the guy saying I'm not feeling well today. And I'm like, no, Christina, because I know the moment I'm there, I'm going to yeah. be so happy. You'll see me, like, I'll be so energetic and I'll like, I'll get all the endorphin hits and I'll, I can't wait to meet them. And so, like, it's going to hit me. But like, like you said, like it totally makes sense what you said about that being delayed. Like, yeah, it's just because I'm not, because I don't have a dopamine hit of it yet. Mm -hmm. I don't want to go, but mm -hmm. I know once I'm there, I'm going to want to do it. And yeah. I, I, I actually was going to ask you if you had ADHD when you said you did the FPV. Cause yeah. I'm like <laughs> that for a female. Again, adrenaline-seeking, yeah. fast pace, like yeah, I, I really like speed as well. I love being in the car with Sean, and and, and um, yeah, I just I just love. I would love to drive, but I don't think I'm coordinated enough, though. Do you <laughs> reckon? Do you reckon you can drive an FPV drone while being a passenger? Uh, people have tried it before. Apparently, it's a very strange experience. Yeah, uh, you, you, the first time, you're most likely to crash. Oh, okay. <laughs> but no, but I, I would. We can do that as your like an experience. We could test it out. See if you could follow me while being a passenger in my car. Oh my god! I think we would have to do normal driving first, and then one day start the yeah, drifting. Yeah, <laughs> so going back to drifting, um, so that's your new thing. Uh, you're yeah. excited about it. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about uh, how what your process of making a car? Because obviously, you drive a different car than everybody else I know. <laughs> yeah, so it's like I don't know anything about cars, and like you were saying about, um, I thought it was funny when you were saying how. FPV drone, like you're required to like fix your own drones. Like mm -hmm. I've built a car for three and a half years and people ask me about it and I'm like, whoa, 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 don't ask me about my car. <laughs> ask Jesse or ask Dave. I've been yeah. building this car. I've been there for the whole car build and I still don't know anything. Like <laughs> all I know is when I got into drifting, they told me to get a light chassis car, like an S13 that I've got in this and Sylvia. And they said, if you have an LS, which is a V8 motor, Mm -hmm. heavy heavy big motor compared to what other drifters use they said that heaviness and the light chassis would help me because i can't use my feet and because i can't clutch kick i don't i still don't know what clutch kick means i don't know <laughs> if it's because i can't use my feet but i actually still don't know what that means but i say it to everyone um <laughs> apparently i can't clutch kick um 
and that that heaviness with the lightness will make the car like spin out or like you know go into a drift much easier I yeah. have I knew I could drive the car because I drive a Ford Ranger every single day so mm. this is I've got the same hand control system that I do on my daily in the drift car so what I had to put was a hand control device so it's like a it's like this big chunky black thing that wraps around my hand and it's got a um like a throttle pedal thing on my for my thumb so mm. that does my throttle and that's by bluetooth so there's no wires wow that's direct bluetooth and it hasn't cut out yet <laughs> kind of like my point ranger sometimes but like it's only delay like it's like a delay thing oh geez yeah, but like whatever. <laughs> drive, so I'm not gonna let that stop me. People are like, oh my yeah. god, like that must be so dangerous. Like, yeah, but like drive or not drive. Um, do you think it's always the same delay? Sorry, I interrupted you. Do you think it's always the same kind of delay or is it variable delay? No, no, no. Like it's a like it's a short delay and that delay only happens very randomly. I wow. haven't experienced that in my in my ranger yet oh hold on mm. i put a notification does that matter Boy. that's okay <laughs> um i i haven't had that happen in the uh drift car yet but that's because i haven't like driven the car enough yeah um, for those that don't know i've only drifted once i went to a drift school and mm. then i did about four hours of drifting and then the car uh was misfiring so i couldn't drive anymore so i'm hoping i don't have those issues but my partner jesse drove it and he drove it fine the whole time. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm hopeful that that issue is not going to happen. The drift car. But um, yeah, so that that's my throttle. Mm-hmm. But for the brakes, I've got, like, as most drifters would have, like an e-brake, a handbrake. I've mm-hmm. got that. But the difference between mine and other people's handbrake is that I can push mine forward and that works as a normal brake. So all four brakes mm-hmm. lock up pushing forward and only the back two brakes lock up when I pull back. Other than that, that's really all I need to drive paralyzed. But for extra safety, um, I don't know the word, extra safety additions or whatever I've added is like I've added a, a fire suppression system in my car. So in case there's ever a fire, I had these nozzles facing my engine bay and my feet um, that activate as soon as I press one button. All I do is press one button okay. and gas gets released and extinguishes the fire hopefully mm. <laughs> hopefully i don't need that so yeah <laughs> and that's um that's because you would obviously exit your car a, a bit more slower Lots. than other people yeah, yeah yeah exactly i can't um i even though I, I did do a video and i jumped out in like 25 seconds and that was like my first one <laughs> of like pretending there was a fire but i yeah. think if i could do it again i reckon i could get it down to 15 seconds or 10 seconds i reckon yeah and then people would be there quickly to help you um yeah uh, uh, Again, yeah. again, that's another thing. Another thing I'm not worried about because, like, I think there's issues with the insurance at the moment, and people like I'm getting like warned that you know there might be a time where I'm not allowed to drift because of that situation, and it's just crazy because, again, like I said to my father when he said, you know, what if you end up in a wheelchair? This is the same for what if I end up burning alive or catching a light? Like, I still want to drift. Like that risk mm-hmm. doesn't scare me because the the thought of like, okay, for the rest of my life, I'm not going to drift. That scares me so much more than catching a light on fire. Like so yeah. much more than like, oh my God. And the only reason I went so long the last um, three and a half years building the car, the only reason I lasted that long was because I knew I was going to start drifting. 
and because I went drifting as a passenger in the meantime to keep that like mm. adrenaline hit and dopamine hit going. But yeah, I, I think um, I'd be fine. Yeah, I think you will. And um, to me, from having uh, witnessed lots of accidents on motorbikes around people who know other people, I feel like it's a lot more dangerous than drift, um, oh, especially I... Australian drift. Not oh, saying it's bad. Yeah, no, no, no. 100%. <laughs> because that's why I so I got back on the motorbike, but I didn't do it or go back into it because I wasn't motivated because I knew if – I fall. All I have to do is fall over, which is very likely on a motorbike. You do it able-bodied mm -hmm. or not. Um, yeah. If I fall over and I sprain my wrist, all I have to do is sprain, then that means I'm out. That means bathroom, shower, oh, yeah. rest, everything I can't do on my own now. Like all my, all my independence is gone. Mm. So the idea of drifting in a car with a roll cage, a helmet, fire suit, fire suppression system. I'm like, I am so safe. I remember crashing with a friend and all of the guys ran over at this track because we hit a wall and they ran over and they're like, oh, my God, like, are you okay? And I was just like, I'm used to knocking <laughs> myself out. Like, we hit a wall and I'm awake. Like, that was fun. Yeah. And in the GoPro footage, I'm like, Whoa! I'm just screaming all the time. I'm like, you need to knock me out for me to even think about, like, being worried for a second. Mm, fair enough that's what i was thinking you would feel like in a drift car where you have roll cage exactly everything you said like it yeah. must be a lot more safer in your in your mind than just yeah, being exposed yeah. on a motorbike <laughs> cool well uh, we're approaching uh, i think the end of the episode and also i know you need to go soon but i would love to have you again maybe um in six months time or yeah. when you have more drift experience it would yeah. be awesome to have your feedback yeah definitely um, I think it was a great introduction to your person today anyway. <laughs> Thank you. No, thanks for having me. And hopefully I can learn more about you next time so I'm not just like, no, 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 no. <laughs> you, know, you, you know I have ADHD so I can't shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, it's the goal of uh, it's a, it's a perfect guest on the podcast. It's talkative guest, so I'm really happy you were <laughs> talkative. Well, and you. if people want to learn more about you and have a look at what you're doing, like wh where should they go? Uh, they can search. I really need to change my Instagram name because you can't spell my last name. But if they just search my name, Christina Bethilkus, spelled C-H-R-I-S-T-I-N-A underscore V-I-T-H-O-U-L-K-A-S, Bethilkus. Uh, that's a Greek last name, by the way, so I don't expect anyone to be able to say it. Um, I've got Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, all under the same like thing. Facebook, they can follow me on there as well. So I try to share all my footage on all of those. Cool. Well, I think uh, hopefully this podcast sends a few people your way and maybe tell some, like maybe some people will start either dirt bike or, or drift after that. <laughs> maybe we can swap. You can drift and I can do, do your FPV drone. It would be actually cool to try to teach the other something once we know a bit more. I'd be keen yeah. to try your car. <laughs> Definitely. I think so. I think that's what we're going to do. And cool. then we can report back to everyone how it went. <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> well i wish you all the best for in the meantime like for your next drift schools for your next experience um i hope you have a good night tonight with novak djokovic <laughs> jesus <laughs> thank you thank you so much hopefully i get to meet him i don't it's not promised but i feel more privileged talking to you 
I'm very excited <laughs> to talk to you that I know that. Oh, that's so nice. Thank you. We'll do we'll do it again then. <laughs> and um, thanks everyone for for watching on YouTube and for listening. Uh, if you like this episode, feel free to give us some ratings uh, or share it with your friend. If you really like the episode, you can support me on Patreon, uh, Onigiri and Co podcast. Uh, if you didn't like the episode, please don't give us any ratings. Yeah, don't, don't leave us any back. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I wish you all some happy flying, happy drifting, happy biking, and I'll see you in two weeks' time. Bye-bye. See you, everyone. <laughs>